Welcome to the inaugural episode of FarmPod, a new healthcare-focused podcast from the Connecticut Pharmacists Association. I'm your host, Nathan Tinker, Chief Executive of the Connecticut Pharmacists Association. Today's FarmPod is sponsored by Moderna. Moderna is a biotechnology company pioneering messenger RNA therapeutics and vaccines. Moderna's mRNA platform builds on continuous advances in basic and applied mRNA science, delivery technology and manufacturing, and is allowing the development of therapeutics and, and vaccines for infectious diseases, immuno-oncology, rare diseases, cardiovascular diseases, and autoimmune diseases. To learn more, visit www.modernatx.com. FarmPod is also sponsored by the University of Connecticut School of Pharmacy. Prepare for a rewarding career in healthcare with the UConn School of Pharmacy's integrated BS, PharmD, PhD, and dual degree programs exceptional faculty, engaging academic exploration, groundbreaking research, and impactful community involvement are all hallmarks of a pharmacy education at UConn. Learn more at pharmacy.uconn.edu. And a shout out to Anchor FM. Anchor's mission is to provide easy and powerful podcasting tools for everyone. Because of this, the Anchor platform is completely free. No hosting fees, trial periods, or paywalls. Create your own podcast at anchor.fm. So let's get down to business. Our topic for the kickoff edition of FarmPod is marijuana. Weed, pot, Mary Jane, reefer, grass, ganja, the chronic, whatever you want to call it, cannabis will soon be a retail consumer product in Connecticut. For nearly a decade, Connecticut has been home to a highly successful medical marijuana program serving some 55,000 patients. But in 2021, the state government approved and enacted a plan to bring legal adult use marijuana to Connecticut. And we now expect the first recreational marijuana dispensaries to open later this year or early next. In other words, legal weed is rolling out in the nutmeg state. In order to prepare pharmacists for this from both a clinical and community standpoint, CPA is offering an intensive five-hour introduction to marijuana on Saturday, July 30th, the Cannabis Cognizance Summer Boot Camp. Boot Camp will cover a broad range of topics in deep detail, including the social and political history of cannabis, its medical and clinical uses, products that seem like, but in fact are not marijuana, including derivatives, synthetic marijuana, and cannabis analogs, cannabis and consumer safety, and the legal and policy concerns in regulating cannabis market in Connecticut. You can find out more about boot camp at the CPA website, www.ctpharmacists.org. And to provide a preview of the boot camp, I have as my guest today two cannabis boot camp drill sergeants, Dr. Eric Halpern, dispensary pharmacist here in Connecticut, as well as second VP of the CPA Board of Directors, and Dr. Rob Bacone, a medical affairs expert in the pharmaceutical industry, as well as the immediate past president of CPA. As a disclaimer, both Rob and Eric are here under their personal auspices, and their comments are purely their own. Welcome, Rob and Eric. Morning. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, sirs. Thank you for being here. Eric, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your role as a medical cannabis pharmacist. Absolutely. I started working with Fine Fettle, for the, and this is my first role in the medical marijuana field when we opened our store in Newington in September of 2019. Prior to this position, I was in a pharmacy manager role across retail, independent, and grocery pharmacy industries. 
In my current role, I'm the assistant manager for our store, overseeing operations, staffing, training, et cetera, but also put on my pharmacist hat to counsel patients on the effective use of medical marijuana and answer clinical questions that come up as patients use our products. Excellent, thank you. And Rob, uh, can you tell us a bit about your background and your connections and interests in marijuana? Sure, thank you, Nate. So I am, like Eric, trained as a pharmacist. I went back to school, however, and completed a PhD in pharmacology at the University of Connecticut. And in doing that, that's where I studied and became involved in marijuana-related research. So it was my PhD project actually determined how Delta-9 THC bound to its site of action in the human brain. So since that point in my graduate training, I've had both clinical and basic science-related research in marijuana and in how you can use the marijuana receptors throughout the body and other sites of action to develop useful medications, but also to help develop medications that might be able to treat cannabis use disorder and other psychiatric conditions. Awesome. Thank you. So, Eric, um, one of the things that obviously has just popped out from this conversation already is that there's a difference between medical and recreational marijuana. Um, as a uh, uh, marijuana pharmacist, can you tell us a little bit about those differences? Of course. So um, it is a bit different than comparing, let's say, over-the-counter and prescription medications. With the typical pharmacy model, there are completely different drug approval pathways, dosing, labeling requirements, et cetera for an over-the-counter medication versus prescription medication, comparing those is a bit of an apples to oranges relationship. With medical and recreational marijuana though, it is much more apples to apples. Whether a finished product is destined for the medical or recreational customer, it has the same origin. All products are being sourced from the actual cannabis plant, which has thousands of strains, kind of like tomatoes for another food reference. The main difference, depending on the market, is the dosage of the finished product. For example, when our recreational program launches, a standard serving of any edible will be five milligrams. In the medical program, though, we can carry up to a 25 milligram dosage with the new regulations. A flower that someone would purchase in the recreational program would be capped at 30% THC, while a flower in the medical program could exceed that 30% THC limit. There will also be different limits for extracts, such as vape cartridges. There will still be a medical professional certifying patients for their medical marijuana card, and these patients will not have to pay a 23% tax that recreational customers will be responsible for. They'll also be able to purchase more than a recreational customer. So the short of it is that we're going to receive similar or identical products for the medical and adult use markets, but some of them may only be accessible to medical patients and be able to purchase them at a lower price point and without paying tax. That tax is a, a big difference right there, right? I mean, 23% is a significant uh, 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 cost on top of, of the uh, cost of the product. And it, it's true, to, right, that this will still be a, a cash-only market, basically? Yeah, so th there are some new options coming out to reduce cash. For instance, um, Dutchie, which is one of the major processors in the industry, just came out this week with a, a program where patients can prepay online with an ACH account and pay for their cannabis products. This is leaps and bounds ahead of mo most businesses in the industry. Uh, here at Fine Fettle, 
we actually just started back up with a, a debit processing system, but for the most part, it's absolutely a very cash intensive business. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Um, Rob, uh, I think it's safe to say that one of the challenges to both the medical and recreational uses of marijuana is uh, both longstanding law and even social stigma around marijuana and, and its use. Um, after all, according to the U.S. government, marijuana is still a Schedule One substance under the Controlled Substances Act, meaning that it has a high potential for abuse, no currently accepted medical use and treatment in the United States, and a lack of accepted safety for use under the medical under medical supervision. This is what, what Schedule 1 is. I wonder if you can kind of contextualize that then uh, in relation to other controlled substances. Sure. That's a really good question, Nate. So thank you for that. And, you know, beginning with the fact that it is a controlled substance, you addressed the point, but I'll reiterate it. Why is it a controlled substance? It's because it has a potential for abuse. So what is the commonality between other medications that also have a potential for abuse? And it is at the neurobiological level in the brain that they stimulate the release of dopamine, particularly in reward pathways. So there's, there are medications that inherently make you feel good. So that is the common theme in all substances that have abuse potential. And it has been shown clearly in research studies in rodents as well as in humans that marijuana, THC, Delta 9 THC in particular, does cause the release of dopamine in certain brain regions, um, in particular associated with reward. So it shares that same principle that medications such as methylphenidate, cocaine, amphetamines do, albeit those will stimulate a much greater release of dopamine based on their mechanism of action, but we can't discount the fact that cannabis and cannabis constituents also do that as well. Did that answer your question? It did. It did. I, I want to follow up with, with uh, one piece of that, which is nomenclature, because you keep mentioning Delta 9 and so forth. Can you say a little bit about the nomenclature around marijuana and the differences therein? Sure. So, in cannabis, there are no less than 400 different chemical constituents that make up the natural products that are in the plant. Only some of them are psychoactive. Others have anti-inflammatory properties. So th there's a very diverse group of chemicals within these plants. Delta-9 THC is the major psychoactive constituent in marijuana or in cannabis, depending on the, the nomenclature that you use. So... And I'm going to address this to you, Eric, quickly as well. Then, um, in that nomenclature, you have in uh, a, a range of street names. Let's let's call them that, uh, and uh, um, uh, brands, as it were. Can you talk a little bit about the difference in those? Um, because I think it's going to be, as the market rolls out, important to understand what these things are, what the names mean, and how how they different from uh, uh, the market you might see on the street. Absolutely. And, and one thing I think is also important to understand is in the raw flower, THC doesn't exist as Delta 9 THC. It exists as THCA, which is the precursor. And then usually under combustion or heat or eventually time, decarboxylates THCA to Delta 9 THC, the psychoactive component. So, um, so if someone were to see a raw plant, smell the plant, even if they were to consume the raw flour orally, it is not gonna provide that psychoactive effect as if someone were to actually smoke it. 
It is very different though when it is extracted from the plant. The extraction process does use heat to convert that THCA to delta-9 THC. So if someone's using a vape cartridge or an edible, for example, it is going to be that psychoactive component. To add even more confusion here, um, hemp cultivators have figured out how to convert hemp-derived CBD to delta-9 THC. So for example, at my local farmer's market, there's a, a hemp producer who's selling gummies that are 10 milligrams of delta-9 THC and 10 milligrams of CBD because it's all starting from the hemp plant, which is really just cannabis that contains less than 0.3% THC, it is legal, or I should say it's in a gray area of legality. So um, I urge anyone who's looking to purchase a cannabis product, continue to look for it at dispensaries because products they contain, products they purchase over the counter do not have anywhere near the same safety and testing regulations that we have on products that are sold through licensed dispensaries in Connecticut. Well, that's a great place then to, to, uh, to jump to what pharmacists need to know, because if we're talking about chemistries, we're talking about interactions, we're talking about uh, uh, confusing uh, names and, and, and focus and so forth, um, what do pharmacists as healthcare providers, and especially ones that are very close to communities they serve, how should they be talking to their patients about cannabis in this emerging context? And I'm, I'm thinking not just to, in the near future when the dispensary is open, but even now, currently under state law, cannabis has been largely decriminalized. Adults can currently possess and use marijuana. They can gift it to other adults. They can grow their own. They can buy analogs and, and iterations of it at their local farmer's market, as you just pointed out. Um, what then should community pharmacists be thinking about from a counseling and clinical perspective even today? Um, Eric, why don't you go ahead and follow up on that? For now. Absolutely, and I can answer your last question with this one as well, because I don't want to forget about that. So one <laughs> of the main thing I think pharmacists can really um, start with understanding is that not every product has the same effect. Um, person to person, of course, there's variability, um, but if we break down to the three main lineage types, sativa, indica, hybrid, this is how most products and most markets are labeled. One day we're gonna do away with this because this really has more to do with the physical structure of the plant itself than the potential therapeutic or effects or effects on symptoms. Um, but if we're really gonna water it down, sativa strains tend to be the most stimulating. So S and S, sativa stimulating. Indica strains tend to be really uh, re relaxing and sedating. So we say indica into couch is a really easy way to remember that one. <laughs> and then hybrids, which are honestly what most markets carry at this point in time, are some mix of indica-like effects and sativa-like effects. The way cannabis is way back in the day, there were strains that really were only grown in certain regions, but with the way that the agricultural industry has developed and the economy has developed, Seeds and clones are being transported all over the place, not federally legal, just putting that out there, but, um, but it is something that is how the cannabis industry has grown, meaning we have products coming into our dispensary that are a unique cross that has never been made before. So part of a pharmacist in the store, our role is to constantly be educating ourselves with the new products we're carrying, what the growers have, are able to share with us about that strain, and then doing some research on our own. For a typical community pharmacist who's not working in a dispensary, I think understanding these three different strain types can be helpful in um, understanding what a patient is using it for and why they might use one certain product over another. 
But one of the biggest things I think community pharmacists can do is help destigmatize the usage of cannabis. Um, so we have patients in our dispensary every single day who have never used cannabis before, start their journey experimenting with different product types and dosages, and find relief for symptoms like pain, insomnia, anxiety, to just name a few. Many patients still feel like they have to keep their medical marijuana consumption a secret from friends and family for fear of judgment. Pharmacists in the community can absolutely help break through the stigma by normalizing cannabis use and discussing cannabis just like they would any over-the-counter or prescription medication. Um, like Rob mentioned, it, it has been shown to increase dopamine release. It has been shown to activate those pleasurable pathways. And that is a bit similar, but also dissimilar to alcohol. So someone will have a glass of wine or a beer at the end of the day. Some people try to compare those two and say, oh, me smoking my joint at night or me taking my gummy at night is just like having a glass of wine or a beer. I actually like to counter that and say from a toxicity standpoint, cannabis is much safer than the effects that alcohol can have on the body, especially if you look at something like the LD50 of cannabis versus alcohol. And also it can have true medicinal effects. So someone is truly going, can improve their quality of sleep, truly can reduce their anxiety with something like cannabis versus alcohol um, is, not, is not very constructive on improving symptoms such as sleep and anxiety. Um, one of the biggest in-depth, one of the biggest barriers to in-depth counseling around cannabis, um, like Rob mentioned, there's at least 400 components to this plant and we don't know how they all affect the body. We don't know how they interact with other medications. We look at the two major cannabinoids, THC and CBD, and we have two FDA approved products that we can use to try to understand the potential for drug interactions. Epidiolex being the CBD product, which is actually coming from the cannabis plant um, and Marinol or Dronabinol, which is a synthetic Delta 9 THC. So all it is is Delta 9 THC doesn't have any of the entourage effect um, with any other cannabinoids or, or terpenoids or flavonoids, any other components of the plant. Um, but outside of these two FDA approved products, we don't have a lot to rely on to understand how someone smoking the actual plant may affect their medications. We do know it is hepatically metabolized. It can have induction and inhibition effects. So the main thing I like to counsel patients on and would ask pharmacists to counsel patients on is monitor for increased use of side effects, which means your patients need to know what the potential side effects of their medications are in the first place. Also have open conversations with their prescribers um, which is much easier said than done. Some prescribers don't want to hear anything about cannabis in any of their conversations. Because it's federally legal, they want nothing to do with it. Um, but having conversations with your patients about the potential of increased side effects from their medication, having a conversation with the prescribers so they understand the whole entire picture of what their patient is using for their health and wellness are ways that we can push forward. Um, and even someone who's using it recreationally on, on the doctor's intake form, they'll ask how many glasses of wine or how many servings of beer might you have in a week. This is something that can be part of that conversation as well. Excellent, interesting. Rob, what are, what are your thoughts on what pharmacists need to, uh, to have in mind? <clears throat> sure, I'll add to what Eric said. And I think it's understanding that one can develop a dependence to cannabis and understanding what cannabis use disorder looks like. 
And I think that that is pivotal. You need to understand as a clinician um, that it, there are biological changes that happen in the brain. It is not a moral failure. It, it is a consequence of adaptations that happen in the brain that some people are susceptible for, other people are less so. So it's having that appreciation will help take the stigma off the table. Um, but there are also long-term consequences associated with its use as there are with other medications. Um, it's all part of that risk benefit profile. And I think pharmacists do have to have an appreciation of what long-term use profiles look like in individuals that use marijuana chronically. And for those that are, you know, their method of consumption is smoking, what the impact of secondhand smoke is on others in their surrounding environment. Um, not to mention, just like conversations pharmacists have day in and day out with patients when they counsel them about the storage of medications, if this now is recreational and greater appetite to be obtained, um, you have to factor in what do accidental exposures look like in children who are not intended to get it, pets who are not intended to get it, and what those toxicities look like, and, and ultimately what one needs to do when it's time to care for an accidental intoxication associated with it. All things that a pharmacist is well-equipped to do outside of a dispensary or in every other area of clinical practice, same thought process has to happen here. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're, we're coming up against our, our time limits here, um, but in the last few seconds we have, um, obviously uh, we've barely touched the surface on this issue, but uh, the uh, Cannabis Cognizance Boot Camp will take a much more rigorous dive into all of this. Um, with that in mind, can each of you, as our Cannabis Boot Camp drill sergeants, uh, give me a 30-second intro, intro <laughs> to your particular presentation? Uh, Rob, your session is entitled Cannabis and Consumer Safety, The Risk is Real. Why don't you go first? Sure. So I will be walking our participants through a clinical case of cannabis use disorder that comes from the literature. And it comes from an addiction psychiatrist at New York State Psychiatric Institute, um, Columbia School of Medicine that I, I actually know personally, and really walking people through what that case looks like from diagnosis to medical history and ultimately treatment, keeping in mind that there are no approved medications for the treatment of cannabis use disorder. So it becomes an exercise in creativity and using learnings from other use disorders um, and the mitigation of withdrawal symptoms as well. So that will be a major piece of what I do and I will have learnings built into that on the neurobiology of addiction and some tiny little bit on the pharmacology of cannabinoids in that regard, but I'll also be taking people through what is possibly the largest cohort um, of individuals studied chronically longitudinally in cannabis use. It's from a New Zealand cohort that enrolls people at birth, queried them at and assessed what their IQ was at multiple stages before they could even begin cannabis consumption and then followed them out to age 45. So there, there's a ton of data. It is probably the strongest set of data that there is, but it will assess and describe the impact of chronic marijuana use on cognition. Awesome. Uh, and Eric, you're presenting a program entitled Clinical Cannabis. I think you've talked about this a little bit already, but what else can we expect to hear from your, your presentation? Absolutely. So I probably won't do justice as much as Rob had learned in his PhD studies about the effects of uh, where cannabis works in the body. But that's where I'm going to start is with the endocannabinoid system. 
It's something that is within all of us. It's something that naturally exists. We have endocannabinoids that are naturally interacting with the system and cannabis just happens to interact with it as well. So I'm going to dive into how the system works, what it's, some of its main functions are in maintaining homeostasis, how THC and CBD, which are the two major cannabinoids in cannabis, affect the system, and dive a bit more into the sativa hybrid indica conversation that I started about how we use nomenclature around these products at the moment, and then provide some examples of products that patients may be purchasing at a dispensary and the difference in pharmacokinetics of those products and dosage forms. I'll also review some of the most qualifying conditions for our patients that we see here in Connecticut and how patients may relieve some of their symptoms of their debilitating condition using medical marijuana. Sounds exciting, interesting, and compelling. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, thank you. Rob Bacone, Eric Halpern, thanks so much for being the guinea pigs on our first Farm Pod uh, podcast. I look forward to seeing you at boot camp on July 30th. Thank you, Nate. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on the first episode of Farm Pod. If this got you thinking about what you as a pharmacist need to do to prepare for the introduction of legal marijuana in Connecticut, or you just want a deeper dive into these issues, please join us for Cannabis Cognizance Bootcamp on Saturday, July 30th, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. It is an all-virtual symposium, so you can enjoy the conversation from the comfort of your pajamas. Information and registration can be found on the CPA website at ctpharmacist.org. FarmPod is a production of the Connecticut Pharmacists Association. It is hosted by me, Nathan Tinker, and supported by Lisa Capbianco, with help from Anna Caparella and Portia Niarco, both of whom are advanced pharmacy students at the University of St. Joseph School of Pharmacy. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.